Well, it's good to be together today. If uh, you're a guest at Fifth, uh, either here in person or, or joining us online, uh, my name is John Sherrill. I'm one of the pastors at the church. If you're not a guest with Fifth, my name is still John Sherrill. I'm one of the pastors of the church. Somebody pointed that out to me one time. If you're a guest, my name is. That doesn't make much sense, does it? But anyway, if you are a guest, we welcome you. It's great to be worshiping uh, with you this morning. We're, we're glad that you could be part of our community here. Uh, we're in the midst of a series that's looking at a particular book of the Bible, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. So it's the letter of Philippians. And we're just working our way straight through uh, that letter in the, in the second half of this summer. And uh, today we find ourselves in, in the third chapter of that letter. And just to set the stage for that before we read it, we've been holding in our minds throughout this series that there was a special relationship between Paul and this particular church. He referred to their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So there, that, that word partnership means fellowship, friendship. So they had a friendship around the message of Jesus that bonded them together as a kind of spiritual family. And so we're, we're holding that truth in our minds as we listen to the things that Paul wrote to this church he loved. Uh, so let's listen now to chapter three. Uh, in short, it's about keeping the main thing the main thing. From Philippians 3, verses 1 through 17. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. 
Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lynn. Only let us live up to that which we have already attained. The great challenge of following Jesus, right? Uh, well, like so many uh, passages in the Bible, if you kind of just start reading this cold and don't have at least a little background information, you might find yourself wondering, what's, what's he talking about? What, what's, the, what's going on here? So just a, a few words about these first four verses we read to kind of set the stage. Uh, here, here they are again. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write, this, or write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Uh, who are those people? And wow, he's not very complimentary, right? Uh, there's a whole interesting history here uh, about some people known as the Judaizers. So these were people who grew up in the Jewish tradition and somewhere along the line heard the message of Jesus. And, and to make the story short, uh, this was a group of people who said, yeah, we think Jesus is great. We believe in him. And you also have to kind of abide by all the religious customs of Judaism to, to be right with God, really. Uh, it was a kind, of, a kind of Jesus and thinking. Like we believe in Jesus and you gotta do this stuff too to really have a right relationship with God. And, and the apostle Paul confronted this uh, throughout his ministry. I mean, the entire letter of Galatians is kind of centered around this kind of thing. Paul met with this where, wherever he went. And this, this idea of uh, Jesus being an addition to things that we already believed. And it's a very natural human thing, but I, I don't know what your experience of, of your faith was, but I didn't grow up in the church. I came to Christ later in life. And certainly when I confronted the claims, it was very easy to think about what Jesus said and try to add it to my life somehow. But as we'll see, the claims of Jesus are quite different than that. Uh, the claims of Jesus constitute a message that redefines what life is, redefines what our lives are about, redefines for us what is actually going on in the world right now. Uh, that, that blending led them to a Jesus and way of thinking, and that's what Paul was, was confronting. So this, this group, the Judaizers, that group, taught that human beings are made right with God through a combination of God's grace and human effort. And everywhere Paul went, he, he said very graciously, sometimes not so graciously and very directly, no, no, no. It, it's not like that. You know, it's not Jesus and, it's only Jesus. And to believe anything different is to, to uh, subvert the central claim of the gospel and the basic message of Jesus. So look at the passage again. This is what Paul wrote. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord who has done all of this for you. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. You know, the reason Paul talks about writing the same things to them again is because he had told them this a hundred times. 
He said this wherever he went. It's throughout his letters. It's not Jesus and, it's Christ alone. It's not Jesus and, it's Christ alone. Now, all we have are the things that are recorded in the Bible, but you have to imagine your way into his situation. When he preached in different places, he preached this message. When he wrote letters, he wrote this in his letters. When he shared meals with people and, and was talking with them and, and just talking with his friend John, he'd say, well, John, actually kind of what you're describing there, that, that's not the way I understand it. I really think what Jesus did is all that we need. And, and you can trust him. It wasn't just the written stuff. This message permeated his entire life. It was his message. It's Christ alone. See, people are reconciled to God through Christ alone. Jesus made this point very clearly. He said it himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the message that served as a safeguard for the Philippians. And it's a message that serves as a safeguard for everyone. Uh, followers of Jesus and, and, and not followers of Jesus because it simply is a statement of truth. This is what is true. It's just Jesus. Not Jesus and all the stuff we bring along with ourselves to try to impress God. You know those things, right? Our religious credentials. And you've, you've heard people break out the religious credentials before. I went to church all my life. We were, we were there whenever the lights were on. You know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever, whenever it was on. My grandparents were missionaries. I went to Christian schools. I'm a seminary graduate. You know, all these are great things. And says Paul, when it comes to religious credentials, his were impeccable. Look what he wrote. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, in precise accordance to the Mosaic law, by the way, that's exactly what the Mosaic law said, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If you put that through the contextual decoder ring, you come out the other side with Paul saying, my religious credentials are perfect. My religious resume is unbeatable. And I was completely lost. Not kinda. I was completely lost because I was banking on my religion rather than an actual relationship with the living God. Because that's the point. An actual relationship with God, not just more religious knowledge in our heads, that's, what, that's the message that Jesus came to share with us, that he was making a new way possible, that he was restoring an unhindered relationship with God if only we might accept that gift. And here's Paul's conclusion. His perfect religious resume in full view. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law by being religious and doing everything right, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And, and this gets us to the main thing. I mean, you might have heard that saying, uh, keep the main thing the main thing. Well, in Christianity, there's a main thing, and Paul talks about it right here. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, we, we all come, well, we, we all come to this morning from different places. We all come to thinking about faith in God from, from different places. If you're in the place of considering the Christian faith, of trying to put the pieces together and somehow figure this thing out, this is for you. Because this is the main thing. Knowing God. That the whole message of the Bible is about God undoing that which was lost in the Garden of Eden. If you're less familiar with the Bible, that's in Genesis chapter three. And the way the story goes is, is this. Adam and Eve, the first humans, disobeyed God and went their own way. God came looking for them. And instead of enjoying God's presence as they had before, they jumped into the bushes to hide because they had departed the relationship. And, says the Bible, we've been hiding ever since. There's a spiritual instinct in us that still wants to jump into the bushes whenever we start thinking seriously about God. Like, is God really real? And if that comes close, you have to admit it. If you're honest with yourself, it's in you. I know it's in me. There's a little part of me that just wants to go hide. Actually, it's a, probably a pretty big part of me. It's, it's the cover-up instinct. It's the, it's the jump-in-the-bushes instinct. It's the, it's the hiding instinct. It's the nobody-can-know-this kind of instinct. And that has marred our relationship with God. It's a hindered relationship outside of Christ. What humanity lost in the fall was relationship, an unhindered relationship with God. And according to the Bible, God has been about the work of restoring that relationship ever since. And that work found its culmination in Jesus. See, Jesus came to restore humanity to an unhindered relationship with God. And that unhindered relationship is available to everyone everywhere right now. And knowing God is its centerpiece. Not knowing about God now. Knowing God. Relationally knowing God. Like you know your best friend. You know their character, their person. You know what they're like. Knowing God. See, the biblical definition of eternal life is knowing God. And knowing Jesus. Jesus told us this himself. He, he prayed this. This is Jesus praying. Now this is eternal life that they, his followers, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God, knowing Jesus is eternal life. Knowing God, knowing Jesus, being in an unhindered relationship with God is not just one aspect of Christianity. This is the deal. 
This is the main thing. And, and I get when we get in a, into a group this large and open up to kind of anyone who might join us online, and we're so glad that you're here, that we're coming at this from all sorts of different places. But again, if you're considering the claims of Jesus and the things he said, I certainly hope you feel the weight of, of this one, this main thing kind of idea. It, it's what Jesus said. And if you feel the weight and force of that idea of knowing God, not just knowing about God, it's a very natural reaction to say, well, what do I do with that? That question came up very, very early in the church. In fact, it came up after the very first Christian sermon preached ever. The Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. It was an impromptu kind of talk, but a sermon nonetheless. He preached a sermon to the crowd about all that had happened in, in, to Jesus and over this period of time, and, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And after this incredible sermon, here was the response of the people listening. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do with this message? They, they felt the force of the things that Peter preached that day, about the things he said about Jesus, about not just a religious idea, but the fact that he had lived and died and rose again and ascended into heaven. I guess that comes later, actually, the ascending part. But all these historical pieces were real and, and true. So Peter replies to them, this is what you should do. Repent, which biblically means change your thinking about God and the world and, and life. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, change your thinking from, from whatever religious spiritual model you've been centered on or from whatever kind of warped version of Christianity you've been embracing, a Jesus and kind of thing. Change your thinking right back to Christ alone. But, but that's not really the first step. I mean, the first step for those folks who were listening to Peter was a willingness of heart that overruled their pride and led them to want to respond. Uh, th those of you who are members of this church, you, you know my personal story, but I, for those of you I don't know as well personally, I didn't grow up in the church, so I don't know what it's like to be raised in the church and to, you know, kind of embrace faith in Jesus as your own as you grow up in the church. I have no idea what that's like. I, I have no idea um, what it's like to be a Christian dad outside of what I'm making up as I go, having never experienced it, right? Um, so I, I don't know what that experience is like growing up in the church, but I do know what it's like to encounter the claims of Jesus as a young adult. When you thought you had things pretty well figured out. And I do know 
what it is to grapple with the inner pride, the battle there. Because as the message becomes clear, it became very clear to me that I would have to release my pride to take even the first step toward Jesus. And for me, that felt terrifying because my life was pretty good. Well-founded, going to a good school, future looked bright. There was nothing wrong. Why walk away from all that? It felt like somebody was grabbing a cornerstone of my life and about to yank it out, and it felt like the whole structure of my life was going to start swaying and, and most likely fall down. And that felt terrifying. But I'm no, I know I'm not the only one who has experienced this, and I know there are people in the room who've had a similar experience. I can testify now that as terrifying as it was, I could never have imagined what life would be like on the other side. Completely changed. I look the same. My voice sounds the same. Internally, completely different because coming to know God, it changes everything. There is a faith available to us in Jesus. I call it a Psalm 46 kind of faith that can say, no matter what comes in life, you know, if the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, those, that's some of the passage from Psalm 46. Even if the worst possible things possible in this life happen to me, I still have a foundation upon which to stand because my faith is not based on my circumstances. It's based on my relationship with God. And no one anywhere can take that away. And that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Righteousness is simply the right, a right relationship. In the ancient world, the word righteousness referred to right relationships, not perfect performance. And, and we have this kind of wrong thinking stuck so deeply in us that righteousness is just never doing anything wrong in God's eyes, behaviorally on our own. And the whole message of the Bible is if that's our only path forward, we're in big trouble because none of us can do that. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life, that God did this for us. So it's a righteousness, a right relationship that comes from God to us on the basis of faith of a trusting relationship with Jesus. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. We, we don't achieve it. We receive it. It's not a work that we accomplish. It's not a religious uh, 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 goal that, that, that we attain. It's a gift that we simply receive from the true God who truly loves us and everybody everywhere. And once we've humbled ourselves and are, and are thinking about God and the world have come into line with the things that Jesus taught, that's repentance, by the way, then we're invited with all the other followers of Jesus to develop a life worth imitating. Look at what Paul wrote. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this 
or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's focus, knowing Christ, becoming like him in in death, meaning adopting the self-giving love of Jesus where we just pour ourselves out on behalf of others. Paul, quote, has not arrived at his goal. Like all of us, he was a work in progress. But Paul presses on, literally, runs with intensity to pursue the goal. This is the second place person in the Olympic 10K who's running with everything they've got to overtake the first place person. Not only because he wants the prize, but because the reverse is true. Jesus ran to catch us. Jesus overtook us in his grace. Paul says, forgetting what is behind, he had a lot of baggage in his past. He killed people. Forgetting what's behind, I press forward. I press on. I strain ahead, full exertion toward the goal. This is not just heaven when we die, friends. The Bible is very clear about the kingdom of God being an already present kingdom. Already and not yet fully here, but already here. The kingdom of God is any place where Jesus is reigning as king and people are submitting to his word and his ways. The kingdom of God straining toward that goal. And then Paul writes this. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I mean, Paul can say simultaneously, I haven't obtained all this. I haven't arrived at my goal. I don't consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. And follow my example. That's one of the biggest pieces we've lost in American discipleship. Somehow we've succumbed to the lie that we, we have to have it all figured out before we invite another person to follow us insofar as we follow Jesus. And that lie has handcuffed the church. And we need to undo that. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. This is exactly what Paul was doing in his own words. He put the basic mission of the church in this way. Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. A very simple model for sharing Christ in this life and making disciples of other people. There's no secret sauce for doing the work. It's just this. Seek the Lord and develop a life worth imitating. Invite others into your life to imitate you insofar as you imitate Jesus and teach them to do what you're doing. No special Christian credentials required. Especially no seminary degree required. The mission of God is for the people of God. No secret sauce.
the main thing, the main thing is that God so loved the world, he sent his son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to make the path for God to give us the righteousness of Jesus, the the right relationship with God that Jesus had, such that we might right now and always enjoy an unhindered relationship with God. That is the main thing, the central claim of Jesus, and that around which we live our whole Christian lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me. God, thank you for your goodness to us. We bless you. We love you. We're so grateful for the things that you've done for us. Uh, God, help us to receive what it is that you offer in Christ. We want that unhindered relationship with you. Uh, Guide us into trusting you more deeply. Guide us into sharing your love with others in the ways that you teach us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen.